0: you kind of want to be in a band with people that you have some connection with and, and whether they can play or not. In fact, if they can't play, I, I now think that's a, a singular benefit um, because the starting point is, you know,
1: have you got something to say? Hi, this is Lol Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie. Co-founder of The Creatures, Drummer with the Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we we drew drew the map.
2: Now's the time to introduce to you a man of charm, intelligence, and rare eloquence. He is the archetypical post-punk bass player. He is the all-dancing quintessential bass player of the original Cure. Pray silence, please. Introducing another curious creature, Monsieur Michael Dempsey.
1: So, um, Michael... Cast your mind back, when was the first time you and I met?
0: We met in middle. what was middle school, Notre Dame Middle School. Uh, I remember him. I remember him vividly in the playground because I knew absolutely nobody. I'd come from miles away um, because my parents thought a Catholic school would be better than any of the other dreadful schools that were on offer. Um, <laughs> so fate took me to Notre Dame. And I remember, Lawrence, because... He had a very distinctive hairstyle, let's put it that way. We all did, but he is, was more than any. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm sure there's some friends. Yeah, my mother had done it, that's why.
0: Because in those days, if you didn't know how to cut hair, you put a pudding bowl, don't know why a pudding bowl, but probably because it was big enough, over somebody's head and you just sort of cut around the, anything that protruded outside the extent of the pudding bowl.
1: Yeah, so I looked like a sort of, you know, strange monk
0: and we i think we we liked each other because I, uh, we were kind of misfits in, in those schools if you weren't mainstream studious or a thug then you sort of were in between with no fixed abode really and i think properly lawrence wasn't a thug despite the fact he tried to
1: Push that reputation in later years. He's <laughs> a gentle soul, More like a peaceful warrior, that's how I see myself. That's you how know. you've rewritten it. <laughs> <laughs> what is history good for except to rewrite it? Um, yeah, that's pretty much my my memory, you know, in the in the playground at uh, Notre Dame, surrounded by lots of nuns, including, uh, the the headmistress, the principal, Sister Kathleen Bully. I remember her very vividly. Yeah, it was it with her piranhas?
0: It was a progressive school, and in, in the, they had this brilliant idea that you'd have four classrooms in one room, and they didn't even have dividers really. So you had four different lessons going on in one space, and the the nuns who who seemed to be prominent in the school, but all these nuns had uh, around their neck their crucifix and also that sort of guitar thing that you you can hook onto an acoustic you know
2: was it was it a good uh breeding ground for misfits
0: yes i think so well robert was there as well you know you're in your early teens and um you begin to think that the uh the way you've been told things are maybe isn't so uh i think that that was a definite area for for people to to ask questions and um that's what we were doing, Michael. Wh- why do you think you
2: and Lol and Robert became such close friends?
0: We, we didn't really fit in. I think you know a lot of friendships are, are based on that.
1: Yeah,
0: you can't really say we all like the same thing because we didn't, but we all knew that we weren't. We all knew what we didn't like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the areas where we where we weren't comfortable. Yeah, we weren't academic. We weren't particularly studious. Not that many people were, and we weren't tough kids. Um, who were in for a fight all the time. We we were just different to, to to the the majority of people I felt who were there. But maybe that's a teenage thing. Everyone thinks they're different.
1: That's right. We were different, but we were kind of different together. We we kind of gravitated to each other because we we saw some similarities in the things that we did like you know we We would like music music, so that was one similarity it would have
0: been things like t-rex wouldn't it yeah Um, absolutely It was the time of electric warrior i remember taking my copy of electric warrior to school and i think robert may have had a copy as well and perhaps you had a copy you know it was something that you wore a badge that said i belong to this this society yeah and so you would congregate on that basis
1: usually what, what you did back then was was you had a big great coat that you got from uh, some army surplus store, and underneath it you carried several <laughs> yes. LPs that you would just sort of flash, you know, to the people that knew, you know, in the playground, and they would go, oh, good one, right, great. The
0: great thing about the whole town of Crawley was it was – and this was the 70s too, so it wasn't just Crawley – it was enveloped in this great miasma of apathy. <laughs> so nobody was kind of interested or paying attention. They weren't, they weren't even – angry that you were doing anything it it was just disinterest Mm. yeah indifference
1: they were indifferent to us really we we were misfits we didn't fit in anywhere but we fit together
0: Um, so what made you decide to form a group you you kind of want to be in a band with people that you have some connection with and and whether they can play or not in fact if they can't play i I now think that's a singular benefit um because the starting point is you know, have you got something to
1: say? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I remember sitting on Three Bridges Station, saying to Lawrence, you should join the band, yeah. but you need to buy a drum kit. So we'll go to Keyboard Harmony in Redhill and uh, we'll fix it up with a drum kit. Yeah. He said to me, yeah, but the point is exams. You know, I've got these exams coming. I said, well, you can do that as well. He was yeah. he was a bit more
1: serious than I was when it came to academia. He wanted to get his chemistry A-level. I'm glad that you did say it to me, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about this. Yeah, sorry about that.
0: No, You're probably still regretting that now. <laughs> was there a little
2: point when you took it away from the school and started to do it, you know, try to find
0: an, a way. I think that would have been in Robert's parents' yeah. house, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't remember it as being that summer. Uh, just one moment. I remember it being continuous. You know, we, we were there a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. We outstayed our welcome.
1: Well, they they had uh, the, the room that we, we sort of took over and practiced in. They, they were going to ha- make this room for their parties and family get togethers. But, one summer they, they went away on the on a on a holiday on a vacation and we, we just Robert just said come round and we just stayed there for like two weeks and that would have been that had been a time I remember everything really gelling together because all we did was just play, eat fish and chips, go down to the Fox Revived or whatever it was called, down at Three Bridges, and then stagger back and play for another few hours and
0: that would have been seventy six, I think. Yes, nineteen seventy
1: six. When it was particularly hot. Yeah. I I slept naked under the Persian rug. I remember that. Luckily, um, I don't. Well, we had the Guru's record collection that we listened to a lot. I remember Robert's brother, the the Guru. We we sat outside on the patio, and it was ridiculously hot. And I had those horrid pair of pink loons, you probably remember still, with the tie-dyed shirt. And, you know, tie-dyed shirt came off because it was summer, you know, so porcelain, uh, Porcelain skin, and we would sit there with a little record player outside, listening to all these uh, records the the guru had. This sounds like an
2: intense period of formative activity. Uh, This is the Cure's kind of nineteen
0: seventy six outlier moment, correct? I'm not. I can't really remember anything other than it seemed like a good thing to do with your friends. Hmm. It was just something you did and enjoyed. Yeah, Um, and and the the kind of more we did it. We did it. We rehearsed quite a lot but it was more of a social thing as well. Um, And I think we probably got together two or three times a week um, for a long time. Yeah, at at least three times a week for about three years. It wasn't like anything happened from day one, but we just gradually developed.
1: And then we got um, we, we, we got a little local notoriety and we managed to play at Knobstock. You remember that? You remember Knobstock?
0: No, I remember that was the time that we just finished Boys Don't Cry because we we rehearsed it in yes. the morning. We rehearsed our set in the morning, we were quite conscientious. And then we turned up in the afternoon to this was golf course, wasn't it, next to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> played our set amongst for about how many people were there? Ten or twenty people.
2: So so Boys Don't Cry was a turning
0: point of something. Yeah, I think I, I remember rehearsing that, just finishing it off and thinking, ah, oh, this is, yeah. we've really suddenly achieved something
2: rather good. Well, what happened then after you'd kind of realised this, this was this was a bit different today?
0: Well, we realised we had something and then, you know, you have to get a deal, that awful thing where if you haven't got a deal, you're <laughs> nobody. And so we had to try and get a deal.
2: So around about this time, many record companies were desperately seeking the next Johnny Rotten or Billy Idol. The Young Cure were courted by German pop label
0: Hansa. They'd seen a picture of us. We sent them a tape and a picture, but I think the tape arrived after the picture. They saw the <laughs> they saw the picture and they saw they asked us to come up on that basis, yeah. and then they videoed us. Yeah. And I don't think we performed at all. We just kind of mimed to something. Yeah. No. And they signed us. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the terms of the deal were, but I don't suppose anybody read it. I think Robert got his father's legal department at at Upjohn Pharmaceuticals to maybe run an eye over it, but he probably wasn't very well-versed in media law, so I doubt if he could give (laughs) a a very strong opinion.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as I recall, he he said something to the effect of, "Uh, yes, it's a contract, (laughs) and that that was it. it. (laughs) They're like, is it any good? Well, it's a contract. So you signed
2: the Hansa deal? We did sign the Hansa deal, yeah. I,
1: mean, I, I remember us saying to them, so you liked our like songs, you know, were songs? What songs? You know, you know they, they, re- they really thought we would be like a, the next boy band. That's what they were after. But
0: they, they didn't like any of our material. They, they sent all sorts of producers down to Crawley who obviously hated every minute of it. <laughs> and so they, they came to the conclusion that we had to do a cover version. And the cover version they chose for us was I fought the law and the law won. Yeah. Which the Clash horribly did later on, you know. And we turned it down on the basis of how could anybody want to do this? Yeah. In 1977 the Clash did. Yeah. Um so we turned down that particular one. Did you part amicably with Hansa?
2: <laughs> how long did it take? I
0: don't know, Robert pulled off a masterful stroke there because we we took away several decent songs from that, didn't we? I mean, we probably it was a it's one of those hideous deals where, you know, it's worth 100,000 pounds, but only if you stay with them for the next 25 years. And But yeah. I think we got out after a year uh, because they just were so exasperated with us. They couldn't see that we were serious in their eyes. We didn't want to be rock and roll stars, which was the the advert that they put on the back of the Melody Breaker. They had these girls draped over a large motorcycle saying, do you want to be a rock and roll star? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we should have <coughs> suspected that it wasn't going to work. Yeah. We should have known. But we didn't. It was that desperate thirst for the deal. You were nobody if you didn't have a deal. Which is probably still how it is. Right. And, and and having a deal validates you. It means that somebody thinks you're worth backing. So you're
2: left handsome with these like uh, I presume nice studio Recordings with various producers.
0: Well, they weren't all that great, were they, Lawrence? No. And they weren't our choice of material. So I think very quickly we we went and did another demo. That was when we went off to Chestnut Studios, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, because that's when um, we we used to hang out at uh, the the local record store, Radio Rentals, or was it Radio Rentals in yes, in Hawley? And Rick Gallup, Simon Gallup's brother, and Simon Gallup later became the bassist for the Cure used to work there on Saturdays and he would bring down all these records from London. He would go up to you know, town and get all these records and bring them down. And we would sit there, listen to him. And he'd see us sitting around there looking a bit miserable and woe be gone after we'd finished with Hansa. And he said, Oh, I'll, I'll give you 50 pounds and you'd go and make a demo. And uh, that's what we did. Yeah. Simon's brother,
0: you know, he's high in the pantheon of, uh, of uh beneficiary stars because he he gave us not only lent us he gave us 50 quid to go make a demo yeah when fifty quid was a lot of money in those days. That's a huge amount of money. There. I'm not sure even one of us would have risked fifty quid <laughs> on the band. Yes, I not think we ever paid him back either, did we? That was two weeks' wages. Yeah, at least in a provincial record store, it's probably two months' wages. <laughs> and so we we went and recorded that. I think we recorded four tracks, didn't we? And then Robert sent them off. Because we were working, so Robert had a bit more time at his uh, disposal yeah. so, and and
2: so what what were your day jobs at this point?
0: what was I working I may have been working at the the asylum by then I was a porter in a in a lunatic asylum
1: yeah the hospital
0: yeah, yeah. and Lawrence was a serious chemist though yeah. he was. Both these pursuits seem to be
1: good training for the cure, actually. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Chemistry and madness.
0: Yeah. Yes. But Robert took it upon himself to send out, uh, reproduce cassette tapes, um, and he sent them out. I remember him sending it out with a tea bag and a digestive biscuit to all the um, record labels we could find in whatever publication at the time. Yeah. And they all sent back rejection letters. Virgin, EMI. Yeah. Every one of them. Apart from Polydor, well, yeah. something came back on Polydor-headed paper from Chris Perry, who said, "Yeah, it sounds interesting. Uh, come up and
1: meet me. Come up and see me, boys."
0: <laughs> so we got very excited at that, and we drove up to London, and we got there and met him and. The only disappointment there was actually said, "Well, it's not Polydor; it's it's a it's a label that I'm going to form myself. It's Fiction Records. Uh, I'm leaving Polydor." So I think that was a moment of, "Oh dear, is this not quite as good as we thought it was?" But we kind of liked him. He 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 didn't take himself seriously like so many people seem to do. Uh, He was affable. He liked drinking beer at lunchtime. You know what's not to
1: like? That endeared him to you. Chris Perry was sort of the antithesis of the music business. Yes. So that kind of fit in with our way of looking at things as well.
0: I suspect so. Chris did take himself seriously, but he just wasn't very good at projecting <laughs> the image of someone taking himself <laughs> seriously. But I don't remember us being full of self-importance or or thinking that we were better than anyone else. It's We were just doing what we did. We I think we set ourselves these little goals. So we played the local pub, and then we... Because there was nowhere else to play, we would hire village halls and make our own events. And then the next place to play was in London. So we had to find a way of doing
1: that. Yeah, Perry was instrumental in that. We got our first... um show in london at the windsor castle the new windsor castle the new windsor castle yeah, yeah. heaven knows what the old windsor castle is like but yeah it's a terrible old pub in the middle of nowhere in uh, the outskirts of london but it was london mm. we'd played
0: again again coming from the suburbs that was a kind of badge of honor we had a a label interest and we'd played in london
2: but it must be some point when the ambition kicks in there's a little bit of Somebody's got to be driving somewhere. Eh? Yeah,
0: right. Fairly obviously Robert was the driving force and, and obviously still is. But I think that was also kind of down to personalities as well. And, and hmm. uh, it wasn't, you know, we didn't have meetings or anything like that. I just don't think at that time it, it, it was a subject of debate as to what to do next. It, it just always seemed an obvious mm, next step. And once you'd achieve one thing, something else seemed to, to follow that. Um, because gradually, I suppose, you were getting attention, albeit in an incredibly slow and minimal
1: way. I think you're absolutely correct there, Michael. I think one of the reasons that we did succeed is because we didn't just aim ourselves at success. That wasn't what was really important to us. What was important was to do the next thing and to live our life that way, it seemed to me. I, I think the point where I thought, oh, this might have future was when parry said to us well i I want you to be you know you can go professional so you know you could stop your jobs uh and i'll pay a little money into the the, uh, bank account and you can pay i think how much was it do you remember michael i think it was 25 pounds a week whoa hey that's that i'm I'm pleased you said that because that's what i was getting
2: from my manager probably about the same time so all right that 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 would last me uh, i used to walk back from the uh, the Barbican in London back to my rented place yeah. in el court i i was lucky if it you know if it lasted me that
0: journey and that was i suppose that was quite a, a a reasonable it seemed like a reasonable gesture on his part to, to make us available all day every day yeah um but then you know shortly after offering us this i remember him buying a very expensive BMW car. Yes. And, you know, if we'd have been a bit more cynical, we'd have realised there's probably a lot more where that came from. From that point to
2: the, where I met you, you you, you gentlemen, yes. what was how long was that from where we just stopped?
0: It couldn't have been... Uh, 77, so 79, 79, right? Okay. So two years. Well, we'd yeah. made our first album and um, we were touring. These bands that we supported, there was Generation X, The Jam, even The Banshees to some degree. But I never felt like being back in middle school. I didn't really feel part of the, that. I wasn't associated in that way with any of these people. There was very little camaraderie um, mm. with, with those bands. And we had what well, Joy Division supported us, and yeah. everyone was was very insular and separated. Um, not particularly curious. But I think that was largely a defence mechanism because yeah you had to put on this carapace of um being different um from everybody else and that was a characteristic of its time. Yeah. A disappointing one, but there it was.
1: But to a certain extent we we were kind of isolated in the beginning anyway, because we lived out mm. in the middle of the the sticks and you know, we weren't a, a central London band, so we weren't gonna go down to the pub and and rub shoulders with, you know, Joe Strummer or whatever. It wasn't it wasn't going to be like that. So we were like a self-contained unit. And I think Robert always kind of encouraged that anyway. Agreed. Which actually probably was its saving grace because we didn't copy a lot of things. We didn't jump on the next bandwagon that was coming along.
0: So, guys, what was Cure Music? I think... The- from middle school to today you know it's the cure in in terms of an ethos is still recognizable not really like anybody else right um, and, and it's not in an intentional we're different it's just that we never really felt massively comfortable in anybody's company <laughs> or a deficiency than than anything but it's just the way it was um, yeah. you know we weren't a rock band we weren't a punk band no way were we a punk band we weren't kind of a new wave band when that was the thing that you might be or post wave or whatever we weren't really any of these things and and i think for a long time that was actually perceived as a bit of a problem by by all sorts of people yeah because if you didn't have a, a nice area to be categorized in then there were plenty of others who did So they would take centre stage, Mm. but in the end, I think that worked hugely to Robert's advantage. And and you know he he didn't didn't plan it that way, but it was just you know again, it's a very strong part of his character. He's he doesn't care. He doesn't care about what other people think. From day one, you know, he had a very certain um, view of himself, and and that you know allowed him not to be taken down these these false paths that a lot of other people
1: go down mm. yeah it's true but we have
0: we have sidestepped when well, we met roger so let's yes. let's move back to that A yeah, turning point in all our lives <laughs> <laughs> yeah the banshee's tour collapsed because there's the guitar player and the drummer whose names i'm afraid i can't remember
2: it's, um yeah they're, they're etched into my my memory indelibly i'm afraid uh, kenny morris yes that's it and john, john mckay thank you
0: yeah um and they just walked out for, for reasons that were never entirely made clear to us in, was that Aberdeen, Lawrence? Yes, it was. Aberdeen, yes. yeah. yeah. Which was right at the beginning of the tour. I think we played one date when this was the second or the third.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'd played in Belfast beforehand and then we came over and played in Aberdeen. And after we'd played our set that night, we got the unfortunate news that half of the Banshees had just disappeared. Sue and Severin went out on stage and announced to two thousand very upset Scots people that they wouldn't be able to play that night.
0: Yeah. And after that we thought it was all over with the with the Banshees tour, didn't we?
1: Yeah, we just I remember we just went back to the hotel in Aberdeen and just got, you know, gloriously drunk and stuff because it's like, okay, well that's it. That's you know, that's the end of the tour, we're going home. Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get the story about Margaret Thatcher out.
2: A brief introduction to Margaret Thatcher. A divisive political figure, passionately loved and hated in equal measure. She was the first woman prime minister, first prime minister with a science degree, but she was no feminist. A friend of Ronald Reagan, she was Queen Bee, indifferent to the personal hardships of ordinary people. She treated us
1: as drones. We had played in belfast and we were coming over on the ferry and when we got to aberdeen the hotel we were staying at was surrounded by police and stuff and we didn't really know what was going on somebody said oh margaret thatcher and the conservative party are staying here tonight and so they motioned for us to go to the back of this car park and of course we we'd been drinking as we were coming in so you know bladders were full and i distinctly remember getting out thinking i'm ch- I'm just going to have a pee here behind the hedge <laughs> and as i was peeing there was these little red dots appearing beside me because <laughs> the shot were on the roof of the hotel looking at who was this person and i was like oh my god no i'm not doing anything i'm just having to pee we got in the hotel and you know rock bands have the worst reputation about you know hotels and bars and trashing have to say without a shadow of a doubt, politicians ten times worse. They were sort of dragging these these politicians out with their bow ties and, you know, suits akimbo all night long, and we were just sort of quietly sipping our halves of bitter in the corner. So I do remember that. Yeah, I think yeah.
0: some of that might be a little fanciful, Lawrence, but... Uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, halves bitter. the halves are bitter. You're,
0: you're fine until he said the halves are bitter. Well, yes, I mean,
1: you're, you're Way off track. Probably a large Jameson's, if I remember, really, yeah. And then what
2: happened? What happened the next morning? Do you remember?
0: I think we must have gone home. No, we did. We went home because there was a discussion as to who the Banshees guitar player would be, first of all. And it. And I think Robert, rather than the, the whole thing just fall apart, he volunteered to, to play the guitar so then they they'd replaced 50% of what they'd lost and they needed a drummer after that point at which uh, at which moment budgie you would have received that call
2: you see uh, my recollection was that let me see i i went down for my little audition and then we were looking for guitarists because we had auditions cuz my little story me- memory story is of yourself and lol and robert sitting with like uh, scorecards like eurovision song contest <laughs> as the guitarists were wheeled in and unceremoniously wheeled out again because they were too rocky or too banshee yeah. or too punky or too something and we ended up getting nowhere we was getting nowhere um so were you the drummer so at that point
0: then you had been giving. i the- was
2: i was sitting on the kit Right. And I was there on the other wall where you, the, there was the cure oh, okay. sitting on the floor, cross-legged, and I don't know what happened after that because we hadn't got a guitarist. And to me, it was a week, but obviously, it's not a week. It was two months.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. But they got they so they got you first. So Robert hadn't decided straight away that he was going to do it. He he must have been well the the last choice hmm. because everyone else had been rejected. I remember the first date with Robert playing because.
2: Robert had a lectern, yes, from the, directly from the pulpit. So he he asked for a lectern, and he had all his scroll, all these sheets of A4 with scrawled notes, and and then the thing. Susie had a kind of fan. I had a fan blowing away, and the papers just <laughs> wafted into a glorious kind of. Spread all about, so but he didn't move them. He just kind of wandered over to the next song and played wherever the paper was. <laughs> <laughs> no concern.
0: Yeah. Do you remember th- those those shows with pleasure, Budgie?
2: Wow, Um I stepped into a new world. Mm. I think I think I knew straight away this this wasn't going to be like a stroll in the park. Mm. This tour was still like. A testing ground. Somehow, there was still a lot to be. I don't know. There was a lot of attitude around.
0: It, it was a necessary kind of part of the time, wasn't it? <laughs> the audience, they they were kind of appreciative, but there was always a, a critical undercurrent as well. That was my recollection.
1: Well, I remember Robert Robert travelled with uh, with you guys for for a while in in yeah. the, the nice Mick Murphy did he bus uh, yeah uh, and uh, me and Michael driving in the little car behind you know when well, he came in the austin maxi yes
2: uh, that's right with the sound engineer yeah. how, how was that so your school chump from middle school suddenly was in the star at yeah. the, 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 the the big the big limo and you were driving the austin austin maxi i mean i don't think you
0: know. i don't think i don't remember us us being too troubled at the time it just seemed like another we, we were very kind of unquestioning. It was just
1: another, okay, this, <laughs> this is what happens next. Yeah. It's just another another thing on, on our list of things that had to happen, you know.
0: It was a logistical thing. That, that was the way it was sold to us anyway. Of course. Again, stupidly, we didn't ask any questions at the time. Yeah. Or we didn't canvas for a larger tour bus that we could all go on. No.
1: Oh, dear. How, how naive we were it, Oh well, if only we'd known then what we know now. Yeah.
2: So that tour finished. Yes, I lost sight of you. I lost sight of you for a while. What went on?
0: I think that might have been my last. My last live show was with the Banshees.
2: Um, Did you leave at some point, Michael, or were were you uh, propositioned?
0: Again, you know, there was never a, a sensible um, meeting convened or anything like that. It just sort of nothing happened. Nothing happened, and then I and Robert yeah. doesn't recall ringing me, but we had we had a long conversation on the phone, and he he was he was right. And he wanted Simon to be in the band because he he really got on well with Simon. Simon was a bass player, so you couldn't have two bass players. Uh, There was no hostility or anything like that. It was, in (laughs) fact, he said, you know, I'm not even interested in the name. You can have the name if you want. But also at the same time for me, Parry had signed this band called The Associates.
1: Head honcho of Fiction Records, Chris Parry, had another band that he was nurturing on his new label, The Associates from Scotland. Billy McKenzie and Alan Rankin.
0: So it wasn't like I didn't have anything to do. And he'd already got me to play for them before before I left the cure. So you'd already started, if you like, moonlighting. Yeah.
1: That's a revelation to me, Michael. I didn't know you actually played with Billy before you left the band. I did. Ah, And I do remember
0: foolishly saying to Robert, they're really,
1: really good. (laughs) (laughs) I think they were really, really good. So, Michael, you started recording with uh Mike Hedges, who did yeah. the first cure album but you were working with the associates at playground studios
0: yeah we booked we block booked the playground as soon as we got an advance we just put well we bought an expensive car and with <laughs> <there> what was <four laughs> us left we book, block booked some um tell me
2: about the expensive car i want to We know bought a beautiful makes. old
0: mercedes a 63 mercedes convertible mm and I was the only one who could drive, so effectively it became my car. So yeah, I liked being in the Associates, that was really something. Well, that was a big shift up from the Austin yeah. Maxi. We got a nice house in South Kensington, yeah. and, and suddenly, you know, life was very comfortable. Yeah. Uh, a, a house for the, for, the, for the band? Yep, we got a band house.
2: Suddenly, the, the, you were, the, the old gang yeah. had gone. They,
0: you see, hmm? yeah. they were very manipulative. Billy was a master manipulator, whereas you know, Robert was much had a much stronger work ethic, um, and he he realised what had to be done in order to, to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Billy was was more persuasive in other ways, and he was able to, you know, charm and, and cajole the record label into giving him what he wanted.
1: Billy had that smile.
0: He did. He had the
1: beatific vision. Uh, he was not, he was not somebody who um, had a good sense of economy, though, because as soon as the record company gave him any money. It got spent on all kinds of things, right? Exactly. And and, and, yeah. and The Cure,
0: we were, we were in the black almost the, from day one, weren't we? We very quickly cleared any recording debt. So, yeah. so that gave yeah. The Cure license to pretty much do what they want. You couldn't have a label say, well, you owe us half a million, so mm. do what we say you should do. The Associates were exactly the opposite. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, they spent all their money very, very, very quickly on cashmere jumpers and...
2: Yeah. I've got to go. I've got to get a bit nerdy, Michael, because I've I've been dying to ask you, because I watched you a lot. I have. I, I can mental picture of me behind the Cure, watching you all starting the evening off. You, you always covered a lot of stage, you know. You kind of Did down, I? yeah, you're bouncing around. That's the power of alcohol, maybe. It was there was, yeah, it was always a big smile on your face, <laughs> but you probably played more notes, certainly in the associates, than we have than we ever played. This, your your way of playing that, do you know
0: how it started? It was probably trying to fill in the gaps, um, you know, because in the cure, we didn't really play very much, and and it wasn't much in, in the way of melody I suppose it wasn't a melodic line Robert couldn't couldn't do both right. but in the associates it was quite bass heavy as well that Billy was very hot on bass lines you know he liked his bass line to be a, an integral part of the of the melody to kind of maybe to bolster whatever it was he was singing.
2: Well, after the associates, then I mean I don't want to breeze through the associates. I
0: I appeared on numerous television shows with Roxy Music.
2: I I loved it when you when you popped up on. I just thought that's <laughs> Michael. <laughs> it's like with a bow tie
0: on. You know? Yeah, I went to Roxy and when I first did it, it was the Kenny Everett Christmas show. We did uh, the Midnight Hour. Mm. So that was pretty good. that's a great video of me with a load of go-go dancers yeah yeah that was pretty wild how stuff, wonderful yeah. Oh my God. um and then when they did avalon they did a big sort of tour of that once they'd recorded that and we sort of went around around europe staying in these most beautiful hotels because ryan brian tends to do things in style and that was a very yeah very interesting time for me On that note.
2: Michael, it's been a pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Arrivederci. Be well. Arrivederci. Arrivederci. And you. Lol, well, it's that time of the show, and we're going to answer some questions from the fans. It's Louis, Louis Caceres. Okay. And um, this one's for you, Lol. What is the best Susan the Banshees concert
1: you ever saw? All of them. Oh, you uh, had to say that. To say. <laughs> yeah. I had, well, I had to say it, but it's true because I saw the Banshees play as the opening act we were the opening act the cure of the opening act for the Join hands tour so i watched every show on that tour uh from the wings i i i learned a lot of stagecraft stuff that we didn't have before i learned how you know sue was very very good at uh controlling the audience in a way that, that you know you probably needed to with a lot of them especially because she was a woman and it was like you know it's hard in in lots of ways but she was very good at that so I, I got a lot of respect for her out of that and then um i think i also learnt uh about dramatic lighting Watching a lot of the the way you know the lights were were used in the show, so it was very interesting for me. There weren't a lot of people doing the same things as the the banshees, and so that was very good. And of course, I got to watch Banshee.
2: So, what, what do you, did you uh, like? Come off! You come off! You your set. Did you all like?
1: Yeah. You must have all gone to we, the
2: pub, right? <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: well, we came off, finished our set, then snuck into your dressing room and stole the beers and no, we didn't do that. We would have known. And then we, we walked out known. onto the wings. You would have known. Yes, exactly. So then we went out onto, no, we went to cut some beer and then sat in the wings and uh, watched, you know, with our chips and our beer. It was like a, it was like a TV show, really. <laughs> okay. I've got a question for you, Budgie. What's the best Cure concert you ever saw? And, and just to warn you, it better be one that <laughs> I was in.
2: Yeah. You see, now let me think. I Because I did see, of course, probably the first, would it have been the first time I saw The Cure would be when you were opening for the band I'd just joined. On the Join Hands right. tour, because I ha- I hadn't seen you before um (laughs) but i did see the cure playing i think it was uh the lyceum in london oh yes i think would you have been playing opening with carnage visors and playing faith
1: yeah that might actually that might have been in that case that's the one i saw because i loved
2: i loved carnage visors i remember playing it in in on the in the bus, you know, and I said, "No, please don't play that again." I just, I loved it, um, and I was I was struck by how a that you were um, you were on stage a long time, and it yeah, yeah. but also this, you had a set, you had these kind of like strange screens that kind of fold like ripple down, yes. and it, it was quite yes. hmm, a striking. I hadn't seen many striking sets at that point.
1: Right, we got um, we got called in uh, in Sounds uh, magazine, music magazine. We that concert we got called the uh, Pink Floyd of new wave. I, w- I would not have said yes. that, I, but <laughs> I, I
2: I wasn't far from my mind. Yeah. In my youth, I saw Genesis at the Liverpool Empire. Peter Gabriel's Genesis, and um, they had a very similar right. kind of like squirrely bit, you know, down the back. But um, they right. moved more than you did, you know. Right.
1: Yeah, we didn't move at all. <laughs> you, yeah. You'd started so. the
2: static production already at this point.
1: Yeah, we we were pretty much rooted to where we stood. Curious Creatures is created and presented by. Paul Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Spear. Social media, Margie Taylor. art and logo design, Justin Thomas K. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web. And you can access us at www. CuriousCreaturesPodcast.com I love saying
2: www.CuriousCreaturesPodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, at Curious
1: Creatures Official, Twitter, at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit DoubleElvis.com or follow at DoubleElvis on Instagram and at DoubleElvisFM on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2021.